1: ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to Sprout, Inc.'s 2020 Second Quarter Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are on a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. If anyone has any difficulties here in the conference, please press star followed by the zero for operator assistance at any time. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded today August 7, 2020. On behalf of the speakers that follow, listeners are cautioned that today's presentation and the responses to questions may contain forward-looking information and statements within the meaning of applicable Canadian and U.S. securities laws. Forward-looking information and statements involve risk and uncertainties, and undue reliance should not be placed on such information and statements. Certain materials, factors, or assumptions are implied in providing forward-looking information or making forward-looking statements, and actual results may differ materially from those expressed or implied in such information or statements. For additional information about factors that may cause actual results to differ materially from expectations and about material factors or assumptions applied in providing forward-looking information or making forward-looking statements, please consult the MD&A for the quarter, and Sprout's other filings, including its most recent annual information form with Canadian and U.S. securities regulators. Forward-looking information is given and forward-looking statements are made as of the date hereof, and we do not undertake to update or revise our forward-looking information or statements, whether as a result of new information, few events, or otherwise, except as may be required by law. At this time, I would like to turn the call over to your speaker, Peter Grosskoff, CEO. Thank you. Please go ahead, sir.
2: Thank you, operator. Wow, I can tell we're listed in the U.S. now. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. I hope that you are all staying safe and managing through these times. On the call with me today is Whitney George, Kevin Hibbert, John Champaglia, and Glenn Williams. Our Q2 results were released this morning and are available on our website, where you can also find our financial statements and MD&A. So starting on slide four, the events of this year have been dramatic and will have far-reaching impacts. Global governments have been forced to react to COVID in an unprecedented manner, not just because of the scale of the issues, but also because the global economy is no longer large, or robust enough to handle the amount of debt which has been created over the past 50 years. In our view, central banks have painted themselves into a corner, leaving no option other than artificially low interest rates, debt monetization, and ultimately currency debasement. And this uncertain environment will support the gold thesis for the foreseeable future in our view. In response, gold's and silver and their related equities have broken out decisively in 2020 outperforming most other asset classes and certainly every other currency. Specifically, gold has gained more than 33% this year. It recently breached the key 2000 level and is setting new highs relentlessly. Gold producer equities have also performed well, rising more than 50% after recovering nicely from the sell-off in late March. While sentiment indicators suggest that a correction could be expected and healthy, gold is now well supported by long-term fundamentals. Turning now to slide 5 for some look at recent highlights, with rising gold and silver prices and dramatically increased interest in the sector, SPRAD has experienced significant growth in our asset base. On a year-to-date basis, as of August 4th, our assets under management have increased by 83% to 17 billion. These gains have been driven by a combination of factors, including 1.9 billion in year-to-date sales, 4.2 billion in market value appreciation and the acquisition of the Tocqueville Gold Strategies which was completed in January, in what has turned out to be a very timely transaction. We completed a share consolidation in May and began trading on the New York Stock Exchange shortly after. We're pleased with the reception that our listing has received and we'll discuss that in more detail later. Yesterday, we declared a U.S. 23 cents per share dividend that will be payable on September 1, 2020. Can we get the next slide, please? Sorry, I've uh, misplaced my notes here.
1: I
3: think
4: there's a slight delay on the slides.
2: Okay. Just give me one second. Sorry, technology and the remote web. Okay. Yeah, I don't, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have uh, the next slide on my screen, so I'm going to pass it over to, uh, to John Schmittaglia to discuss uh, some of uh, the recent performance in our exchange listed products.
4: I,
3: I believe there, it's right? actually uh, Kevin who's going to. Oh, I'm
2: sorry. The, uh, I'm sorry, Angels.
0: All right, thanks. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Peter. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, If you can, I'm on slide 6, which is the AUM summary, uh, as at June 30, 2020. Uh, That slide also provides a snapshot of our current AUM estimate as at August 4, 2020. Our uh, AUM as at June 30 of this year was $13.9 billion, up $3.2 billion, or 29% from March 31, 2020 and up $4.6 billion, or 50% from December 31st, 2019. Uh, our AUM benefited largely from strong precious metals prices in our physical trusts and strong market value appreciation across most of our equity fund products. We also benefited from strong inflows, uh, to Peter's point earlier, in our physical trusts, as well as capital calls net of distributions in our lending funds. Those increases more than offset the anticipated redemptions in our precious metals equity strategies post the acquisition of Tocqueville's gold funds earlier this year. Now, subsequent to quarter end, we continue to experience very strong inflows into our physical trust products and also continue to benefit uh, to a significant degree Uh, from strong precious metals price appreciation and robust equity market valuations in our actively managed fund strategies. As a result of all this, our AUM estimate as of August 4, 2020 is $17 billion, up $3.1 billion or 22% from the quarter ended June 30th. On slide 7, you'll see a look at our second quarter earnings. Adjusted-base EBITDA in the quarter was $9.2 million, up $2.2 million, or 31% from the prior period. The increase was primarily due to strong net inflows and precious metals price appreciation in our exchange-listed product segment and the Tocqueville Gold Strategies acquisition earlier this year in our managed equity segment. We also, however, benefited from increased commission revenues in our brokerage segment due to improved equity origination and transaction activity. Uh, These increases were partially offset by lower finance income in our lending segment given the repayment of legacy balance sheet loans last year and higher than anticipated capital distribution levels in our lending LPs last year. For more information on our revenues, expenses, and our EBITDA, you can refer to the supplemental information section of this presentation, as well as our second quarter MD&A filed earlier this morning. Uh, that said, I'll turn things over to John.
5: Great, thanks, Kevin, and good morning, everybody. Just moving to slide eight. Uh, we obviously had a very good quarter in our exchange-listed product suite. Uh, very strong demand, and I think. What's interesting is that this psychological barrier has been broken with the new gold price hitting an all-time high. Um, as I said earlier in the year, gold had reached a high in just about every currency in the world except the U.S. dollar, and we feel as though this was kind of a psychological hurdle for the largest you know, market in the world to, to break through. And with gold breaking through, through the 1921 uh, barrier recently and, and pushing on to over 2,000, we think there's tremendous momentum in the trade right now. It feels very similar to 2010, uh, where we had very strong interest from the Western markets, which were driving the price gains and the flows in the gold and silver market. Um, the, the high gold price and the high silver price has definitely had an impact in the Eastern markets, which are more price sensitive, like in, in India and China. But what we find is that in these bull markets, it's the Western it's the Western-based investor that really drives the, the price. Um, we're seeing very strong demand, I guess, across the board, but I think in the last couple of months we've seen a rotation from typical gold and silver investors to now more generalists. And I think this has us very excited, and it, it affirms to us that we're still in the very early stages of this cycle. Um, as I said, in the early uh, part of the sell-off in the equity market, uh, most of the flows came from investors already invested in the in the trade, but in the last couple of months, we're seeing more and more people come to us and have conversations about moving part of their fixed income allocation away from uh, away from lowering the fixed income allocation and putting some money into physical gold. And I think this is quite exciting because investors are are basically. Uh, come to the conclusion that there's not a lot of hedging uh, ability in fixed income at these very low levels of, of real yield. Um, that's very exciting to us. We think that's what that's going to drive the next stage of this of this rally and uh, as I said the interest we're seeing is is global and it's across many different investor segments. we're seeing much more institutional interest we're seeing much more block trading in our funds and that's what's really driving the flows. Um, You can see that in the month of July, we had a very nice uh, pop in sales, uh, just over $500 million. Uh, To August the 6th, that number is actually about $130-odd million, so the the momentum has been very good um, with the physical trust sales. And I think the other important point to make is that liquidity begets liquidity. We're seeing a lot more trading in our funds. The funds are getting much larger in size, the physical gold trust. Broke through five billion. The gold and silver trust is almost at five billion, and our silver fund just broke through two and a half billion. So these are very liquid, large vehicles for institutions to participate in. And I'll pass it uh, over to Whitney now. Uh, thank you, John.
3: Um, on slide nine, I want to touch on um, our managed equities business. Um, as everybody knows, um, we have uh, achieved significant scale in that business with the acquisition of uh, the Tocqueville um, team uh, and their assets. Um, John Hathaway, Doug Breaux, um are um, working wonderfully with our Canadian-based uh, team that was in place already. So we, we obviously have, um, now I think, the largest um, group of professionals um, approaching the, the gold equities. Um, our funds are performing well. Uh, the slide says most funds are up 30 to 50 percent. Um, more up to date would be more like 40 to 80 uh, percent. Now that we've had um, a very very strong performance, particularly in silver, very recently, and um, our flagship uh, gold pro- equity strategy, uh, headed up by John and Doug Breaux, uh is up over 100 uh, percent since its March low. Um, so um, we're performing well, and we're well positioned to capture um, you know new interest in the area. Um, our relative performance uh, versus peers has improved quite dramatically due to the broadening out of the, um, the market into some smaller and mid-cap stocks, uh, which are usually um, you know where we um, add the most value in terms of fundamental research. Um, but the inflows into the equities are still subdued, uh, irrespective of the, you know, the very strong performance. Um, And we we are getting a very good response to our digital marketing efforts. Um, We have um, some of the highest engagement numbers um, uh, that uh, anybody in the the industry, not just the mining industry, has seen. And um, our webcasts and other online um, uh, presentations are growing uh, record attendance for us. So I think we're getting the message out there. um, And um, I think there are a lot of people watching, uh, maybe sitting on their hands um, a, a little bit, um, just waiting for a, a, a re-entry point. Um, on the slide 10 uh, is a chart uh, that gives you a sense of where we are in terms of uh, gold equities uh, relative to gold bullion itself. Um, uh, this is a measure of the ARCA Gold Bugs Index, which is an equally weighted index of gold mining companies um, relative to the price of, of, of physical gold. And so you can see... Um, uh, we are uh, nowhere near the end uh, of the potential um, um, bull market that, that we think has just gotten underway in the last year or so. Um, and finally, for me, um, what's going you know, to cause uh, that recovery? Um, the um, outlook for gold mining companies has dramatically diverged uh, from other equity categories. Um, the slide 11 chart uh, shows you the expected um, one-year earnings growth gold equities in general, um, up 100% plus, um, and that would compare to the largest S&P companies, um, which are expected to have earnings decline by 16%. Um, That, if if nothing else, we think will draw attention. It may come first from algorithmic investing or or passive uh, funds uh, that are looking for these kinds of factors, uh, but we do think there's a lot of opportunity for it to broaden out.
2: Back to you, Peter. Thanks, Whitney. Uh, turning now to slide twelve for a look at our private strategies in our lending business. Our deployment activity has ramped up considerably, and our second pro- second private lending fund is now approximately three hundred and sixty-five million in signed loan agreements with two hundred and seventy-eight million in deployed AUM. Um, perhaps more importantly, we have a a very strong pipeline of opportunities and are currently tracking to reach full capacity in that second lending fund sooner than we initially anticipated, leading us to start planning for additional capital raising next year. Late last year, we launched a new streaming and royalty strategy to complement our lending funds um, and this strategy was seeded with a $200 million lead order. Um, We have begun making investments at a decent pace now and have been busy building out the pipeline and the investment team there. Um, Turning to slide 13, as I mentioned at the start of the call, we began trading on the NYSE in June. We were pleased with the reception that our shares received. Our trading volumes in particular have improved substantially. And Just to recap the reasons for the listing, um, it was a natural next step in our evolution and expected to provide our shareholders and investors with a number of benefits, including uh, reduced volatility and trading costs for U.S. investors, broader investor access across the U.S. and globally, and very importantly for us, a cross-marketing opportunities between our clients and our shareholders when we make uh, presentations to groups of investors. The majority of our clients and shareholders reside in the U.S., and we look forward to getting on the road and meeting more of them in person as travel restrictions ease. On slide 14, we've highlighted some of the growth initiatives that uh, we will be pursuing in the the second half of 2020 and onwards. There's many of these that are familiar to you. With interest in the sector rising and new inflows coming into our products, we are prepared to invest uh, a bit more in sales coverage. We have an excellent team that um, covers na- national um, organizations and, and regional offices, and they do an awesome job, especially with um, online and, and web marketing, as uh, Whitney was saying, But um, we've We've got the phones ringing off the hook, and we've got a lot of opportunities, so we are prepared to invest. We're exploring new mining oriented exchange listed products in John's area to capitalize on existing brand awareness in our platform and some other interesting opportunities with mining commodities. and we're um, getting a bit closer and continuing to pursue international distribution relationships with uh, Europe, Asia, Australia—being ge- geographies that we view as uh, as attractive. On the acquisition side, we're actively reviewing uh, selected opportunities in in the managed mining investment space. And lastly, we're continually fielding approaches from investment and uh, technical specialists that are interested in working at broad and pitching us on on new ideas. Uh, so. Lastly, and and moving on to slide 15, for a few closing thoughts, in our view, gold is now a mandatory portfolio insurance allocation for both retail and institutional investors. It is clear to us that the state of the global economy and the unmanageable debt position that has been created will require easy money over the long term. And a financial repression, currency depreciation, and yield curve control are the tools that are left for the central banks and policymakers to use, and all of these will reinforce gold's role as a reliable store of value. All these factors contribute to an extremely favorable macro outlook for precious metal investments. At SPROT, we're energy, energized by this opportunity and that we have to build a much mar- larger market leader in the precious metals sector. We look forward to continuing to create value for our clients and our shareholders. And that concludes our remarks for today's call. I'll pass it back to the operator for questions.
1: Thank you, sir. As a reminder, to ask a question, you would need to press star 1 on your telephone. To adjourn your question, please press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. I show our first question. It comes from the line of Gary Ho from this Jardins Capital. Please go ahead.
6: Thanks. Good morning. Uh, maybe first question for, for John, perhaps. I just wanted to focus on the exchange list of products first. Um, great momentum in Q2 and so far in Q3. Maybe talk about, you know, where are you seeing most of the flows come from? Is it re- retail allocating a higher portion, advisors buying in, Just want a bit more color, kind of uh, under the surface, where you're seeing seeing that. I think you alluded to some of the rotation um, from
5: specialists to uh, and and more so more recently, generalists. Sure, good to talk to Gary. Um, As I said in the in the beginning of the of the rotation, interestingly, it was uh, it was the traditional retail silver buyers that kind of kicked things off when silver. Touched below $12, they came out in mass and basically acquired every ounce of silver they could find, um, and that and they were the early mover and and you know they're 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 hardcore believers and long term holders. So, but more recently, what we what, what we've seen is the batons been passed more to family offices, and now we're seeing increasingly more uh, registered investment advisors in the U.S. Uh, that are having conversations with us about. Adding allocations to gold and I can tell you many of these RAAs have not had any gold in their portfolio client portfolios for years um, so it's it's somewhat like a time warp like it's like we're back in 2010 again having these kind of conversations so what we typically try to do is educate the, the, the marketplace about uh, the role of, of precious metals in the portfolio um, we, we have a whole suite of funds so we, t- we like to take a consultative approach uh, more recently I would say the sizes of the institutions are getting larger larger wealth managers we're starting to see some interest from the warehouses uh, in the US um, so I think it's the larger money now that is starting to move and you could see that in our in our sales pattern where in March April May we had a, a really good momentum in sales and then We had a bit of a lull as the equity markets recovered. And then, you know, even though the equity markets have been incredibly buoyant with tech stocks rallying, you know, having over $500 million in sales tells us that people are still concerned out there and are starting to now uh, not think so much about hedging equity risk, but they're thinking about their fixed income portfolios. How do they reallocate? There's not much, uh, you know, juice left in the squeeze out of fixed income. If there is another correction in the equity market, will their fixed income portfolios be able to act as a shock absorber? Um, And so they are looking at gold as an alternative um, in that mix. We're not saying people are are dumping all their treasuries, but I think people are thinking about adding gold in lieu of some fixed income. Um, And obviously that that is a huge capital pool to draw from, um, and it doesn't take much uh, of a reallocation from from the treasury pool to to the gold pool to really move it. Um, with silver, it's a little different. It, people people are getting excited about the price move. Uh, this is very eerily similar to 2010. I remember vividly uh, in the early part of 2010, Eric Sprott said, "I think silver will be at $50 by the end of the year." At that time, it was about 18, I recall, and he was not exactly right, but it was only off by a dollar. So um, it feels like the momentum in silver is, is, is similar to 2010 where it's just, uh, again, it's a much smaller market than gold, uh, and people are, are chasing that momentum for sure. So it's a, it's a variety of, of factors, but I think that the, the larger asset allocators, the larger uh, wealth managers and family offices are, are starting to move to gold and I think it explains the the global phenomena we're seeing across all the gold ETFs. The flows year to date globally have been ginormous, uh, and those are those are primarily funds listed in the U.S. and uh, the U.K. and Switzerland. So it's uh, it's a global phenomenon. We think it's a global reallocation.
6: Thanks for the uh, thanks for all that, John. I uh, appreciate it. Second second question, maybe for Kevin. Yeah, I saw a nice lift in EBITDA margin. Uh, you no know, staying with the exchange listed product segment. Seventy seven percent this quarter uh, from seventy one last year. Maybe bigger picture question, you know, where where does this this platform top out in terms of margins and what AUM level do you need to achieve that? Thanks, Gary.
0: Uh I, I would say we're we're pretty much there right now. Um at, at this at this operating margin level, uh the the um uh, the the growth in AUM wouldn't cause the margin to grow that much more. I mean, if we if we stay at the pace of what we're seeing now, um, perhaps we can start knocking on the door of of eighty percent. But I think uh, we're money good for seventy seven for the rest of the year. Okay, perfect.
6: Last one. Uh, Peter, just given the increased sentiment in the space, I think you mentioned a few kind of new initiatives, maybe on the products side. Um, can you maybe elaborate? Would you pull some of that forward? Perhaps talk about the M&A front and maybe thoughts on use of capital here.
2: Sure. Um, well, there's been increased investor interest across a, a number of different mining commodities. Uh, we've seen... Resurgence of interest in uranium and in uh, battery metals and um, even even base metals and specialty metals uh, like rare earths are getting a lot of uh, interest so we do have a an innovative and um i think very accomplished uh, physical products team. We can get things done quickly and um, and and build build new. Uh, investment areas around some of those ideas. So we're we're constantly exploring them. Um, we're pretty conservative in that we don't really want to launch anything or get anything going until um, we're we're certain there's a, a pretty broad-based demand and a sizable product for it. There's no question our hurdles have gone up in terms of relevance. Um, and then even in the gold area, there's there's new innovations that can be looked at. So. Um, There's no shortage of of creative ideas around here and it's only a question of whether we get the right mechanics for a launch. And I think the second part of your question was related to M&A or balance sheet. Our our balance sheet is is just perfect right now. We have a lot of undrawn um, facilities and and some capacity to do things. and we're, we're certainly not levered by any conventional measure. So um, we we see opportunities for for tuck-ins and for um, uh, smaller franchises that that we that could become part of our platform, and we'll react to them as as we see them. In terms of large uh, deployments of capital, um, don't really need to do that right now. I mean, we just don't see. Uh, the, the need to to be buying um, huge cash flow businesses in our business, uh, talent is everyth- everything. And if we if we want the talent, those people will come in as partners and, and shareholders. So I just don't see the need for a heavy balance sheet at this time. Okay, perfect. Uh, that's it for me. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of. Jeff Kwan from RBC Capital Markets, please
7: go ahead. Hi, good morning, um, Kevin. Can you just uh, remind me just how the performance fee structure on the lending fund uh, works, and what would be a reasonable way to go about trying to kind of model out the performance fees for the lending funds?
0: Uh, I would I would say you could uh, just start with the the um, uh, the management fee breakdown in the MDNA that that provides, uh, I think, a decent um, starting point for you, and then just apply it against the AUM numbers we disclose.
7: I mean, is is there anything from a performance standpoint you can kind of point to as to kind of where you stand today on, on the fund on the returns? Is it like mid teens so far? Or uh,
0: no. Uh, if you recall, we talked about uh, in a number of. The fact that we can't provide an awful lot of guidance or insight into that space. Uh, From a a reporting perspective, a reporting perspective under IFRS and under US GAAP, they're both converged now. We can't disclose or, or provide any numbers around uh performance if we're still in the clawback period, which we are. Uh what I would say in general terms is that the lending funds are doing very, very well, and so I would expect uh, a decent number uh, at the time we eventually uh close either close the funds or or move on so um, that's that's the most I could say about that
7: okay um, in terms of you know you guys have talked about higher engagement from investors looking at gold and other precious metals um, what what is needed to get that let's call it hockey stick like into the precious metal equity funds is it just a matter of time with all these talks and conversions or is there historically maybe been some sort of catalyst or event that that really gets it going
2: uh, Whitney can you handle that one
3: uh, sure um, well things are playing out like they have in past cycles uh, maybe at an accelerated pace um, you know physical gold um Everything went down in, in March, but physical gold recovered very, very quickly. is now hitting, hitting new highs. Silver um, is sort of lagged um, and then played you know, serious catch up in the last two months. Um, and then equities, um, you know, are still equities. You know, whether they're in the mining industry or technology, and um, they will ultimately. Um, you know, start to catch people's interest just based on the fundamentals. Um, as I mentioned, um, there are very few places uh, that are beneficiaries of, of this COVID pandemic, um, uh, to the extent that uh, the mining industry is. Uh, their 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 costs are down and under control because of um, currencies and and energy. Uh, yet the uh, end price for the product they produce is is up dramatically. So. You get earnings surprises, earnings revisions, um, earnings momentum, you know, kind of the factors uh, that cause people to buy, you know, any sector or or group of equities. Um, It just takes a little while. Um, There is a bit of a hangover from all of the things that went wrong um, during, uh, from the peak of the last uh, bull phase. Uh, But all these companies are healthy, they're conservative, their balance sheets are in great shape. Um, M&A is robust because there's, it's a little um, there's such a reduced level of activity in exploration and development, and that takes a very long time uh, for that to catch up, as you know. Um, so uh, you know there's there's a there's a supply demand issue in front of us, um, and uh, the, the price of the commodities are starting to reflect that. It won't take long or too much of an allocation to the mining sector out of Apple. Uh, to drive the entire industry. Um, you're seeing it probably first and foremost in ETFs, ours, um, and, and to a greater extent of uh, X products. Um, theirs is market cap weighted. So you've had a very strong start, uh, to, uh, the performance of the largest mining companies that, you know, represent the greatest weights, but it's broadening out. Um, and, um, you know, it'll take it, it it's starting, and again, um, maybe a little pullback uh, so people won't feel they're buying at the top um, generates, you know, the kind of flows we're expecting. Um, uh, but but all, the, all the conditions are, are, are there uh, for a, a, a very nice, you know, period for the next couple of years.
7: I guess what I'm looking at is that with the precious metals equity funds specifically, is there a greater risk that maybe the sales would, may not be as good as in prior cycles because there's more – easier availability for investors to invest in the physical commodity as well as ETFs?
3: Um, Well, we we have ETFs as well, Um, so we're well-positioned. Ours ours happen to be factor-based as opposed to market cap-based, which I think is a fundamental advantage long-term. Again, there is – the markets in general, the equity markets in general, and I'm a generalist, you know, have been driven almost 100% by liquidity. Um, so, you know, greater trading volumes, higher market caps sort of beget you know, more of the same. Um, but, again, beneath that, the fundamental business is, is very healthy, and m um, and and other things, even if investors don't show up the way they have in the past, um, will certainly, you know, drive valuation from what we think are are very, very reasonable prices. Um, so, yeah, maybe people never buy gold equities the way they used to. Um, but I think we're pretty well positioned with our product suite and are always you know considering new products uh, to deliver um, what we do in the format uh, that investors you know want to see.
7: Okay, and just last question I had was um, are are the conversations are happening with investors? Are they looking to gold and silver as, as capital preservation hedges with with optionality on, on the valuation upside? Or is it a view that there's still, you know, massive or significant valuation upsides uh, in the commodity and related um, equities?
3: So we're talking to investors about our physical products um, as a, you know, as a, a very viable alternative that with with very low low cost. We like to tell people gold's the original alternative investment. It's liquid. You don't get your money tied up. You don't pay enormous fees. Um, it's it's you know they are very interested in that. We you know, we've been very successful um, with that conversation. As John said, as a fixed income alternative for the last couple of years, equities on the other side we present as a tactical tactical opportunity. Uh, as a component of the equity portfolios that people have. Um, and, you know, that has yet to kick in the way we expect it to.
7: Okay, thank you.
1: Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you would need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, please press the pound key. i show our next question. comes from the line of Rasib Banji from TD Securities. Please go ahead.
4: Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Um, first question was just on your expenses. So now that Topwell is fully in the, in the mix right now, would this be a reasonable run rate for the business right now? Or And also, like you mentioned, that you'll be investing a bit into more sales and distribution. So would that increase expenses rather?
0: Hey, it's uh, Kevin here. I'll, I'll, I'll take that, uh, thanks for the question. Um, I would say that um, it, it wouldn't be unreasonable for you to, to go with what you're seeing here uh, as a run rate, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of, of three to three and a half, uh, a quarter on the SG&A side. Uh, when it comes to, um, well, when you're asking about expenses, are you, are you also asking, I, I, I guess, about compensation levels too? Yeah, that too. Yeah. So on the compensation side, there 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 may be a little bit of of, of noise there coming from two areas. First, um, on the L tip side, and that's uh, give me a second here. That's on page uh, uh, 14 of the of the md and We provide some info there. Um, you'll see the the L tip number continue to go down uh, slightly, uh, and that's because a lot of our our tip grants, if, you, if you've followed our, our story long enough, uh, came back in 2017. So now we're approaching the tail end of the amortization of those grants back then. So you should see that coming off, but then uh, you could see the annual incentive payments growing uh, a little bit more to the extent that the environment um, that is currently robust for us on the revenues and, and earnings side continues. As uh, a significant amount of our compensation is now variable-based, so linked to performance. Uh, but on the salary side, uh, there's a bit more visibility there. So I would say on that end, you're you're probably looking at about the right number. We're at about five about five a quarter on the salary side, and that's uh, consistent with the the, the the few extra bodies that we brought in with the acquisition earlier this year. So. Salary number that you see on on page 14 is probably a good run rate. Uh, the AIP number could go higher if if our results continue to move in the direction it has. But then the LTIP number uh, should continue to fall, uh, particularly uh, next year, all all things being equal. And then the SGNA, you can probably go a three to three and a half if if you want.
4: Okay, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, and just my second question was on uh, the base management fee number uh, that. Sorry, year? I can't hear you. Can
0: you speak up? Yeah. Sorry. Is this better? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks.
4: Yeah. Okay. So sorry about that. So uh, next question was just on your management fee. So um, uh-huh. the so I understand you break down the management fee rate a bit differently versus what we what we model it, but it seems like the management fee rate came in a bit lower. So um just just for context so base management fees they are five percent versus last quarter but and your average a u m is up around uh twenty percent versus last quarter so does that mean that the management fee rate is trending a bit lower here or uh, are, are am i missing something in the calculation
0: um well i haven't i haven't i can't recall i don't have the info right in front of me around where our base uh uh, rate was in Q1, but it should have been about the same as what I'm seeing here now. Um, what I what I would say is uh, a lot of our AUM is is flooding into the exchange listed products platform. Um, as you know, that has the lower the lower um, management fee as a percentage of, of of a per dollar of AUM than uh, our other fund categories. But the important thing to keep in mind, and this is something that our that our investors are are, are quite um, uh, excited about, is the fact that you know kind of tying to gary's question earlier the uh, the margins the the operating margins coming from that space uh tend to be significantly higher than any of our other fee based businesses so so whilst the the uh, fees coming from the exchange listed products business are lower, and that's where most of our AUM is coming in, the profit margins are are um, significantly higher than what you would see in the other areas. So, so we're earning about 77 cents on every dollar that comes in the door there, whereas, uh, for example, on the managed equity side, we may have some that are at about a 93 basis point or an 80 uh, basis point or even lending at a uh, uh, 100 basis points. But but the margins in those spaces tend to range between uh, 60 and 70%. So, so although the, the rate on the management fee line may seem lower, and that's where all the assets are flowing in, uh, the degree of leverage to our operating earnings is much, much higher, which is why you're seeing the numbers you're seeing today on our EBITDA line.
4: Oh, got it. That makes sense. Uh, those are all my questions. Thank you very much.
0: No problem.
1: Thank you. I show no further questions in the queue. At this time, I'd like to turn the call back to Mr. Peter Groskoff, CEO, for closing remarks.
2: Okay. Well, thank you, operator, and thank you all for participating today. We appreciate your interest in SPROT, and we look forward to reporting to you after our next quarter. Have a great weekend.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.